surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I'm your host, Taylor, and I hope you guys are all having a wonderful, wonderful week. And um, we're switching it up a, a little bit today. I know we've had a few episodes focused on like plant-based eating and around food. And today we're going to kind of go back to our typical of talking about mental health. Um, and my guest today, you guys might recognize... Uh, Dean and Vanessa were actually at her wedding and um, it was a charity event and that was kind of how I got connected through her was just seeing them post about her and then starting to follow her life and uh, she was just so outspoken about mental health and I was like, we got to get her on the podcast. Um, (laughs) She's a 28-year-old servant leader working in the nonprofit field. She's overcome childhood trauma from sexual assaults, depression, emotional abuse, poverty, first-generational living, suicide and pressure of raising her siblings. And then she's turned that um, all into focus, into having a focus on helping others, which is just fantastic. Um, She's traveled on a local and global basis to work with various underserved communities to rebuild homes and create sustainable youth programs and lead new projects that strengthen individuals' understanding of self-awareness and confidence in making an impact. And she just really is like doing it all and is such a badass. So I'm so happy to have you on here and welcome to the show, Tiff. Oh, gosh, thanks so much. I'm literally (laughs) just so honored and thrilled um, to be able to connect with you in person and, yeah, dive deeper on the topic of mental health. Yeah. I mean, there's so many areas here for us to talk about. Like (laughs) you, you, I mean, first off, kind of starting with your wedding, I mean, that was a whole charity event and you like... yeah which in and of itself is amazing and not something a lot of people really do. So, yeah. It, it was definitely, I mean, I'll tell you this, it took me a year to kind of come down from the whole event. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to give uh, some of the listeners a little backside Mm -hmm. of, uh, of what my husband and I did, we turned our wedding into a charity gala and benefit concert um, raising money and awareness for five different charities that, um, we're personally, uh, connected to. So mm-hmm. that's cystic fibrosis research, mental health, low income families and education. Um, and the idea kind of just came about when honestly, after we had gotten engaged, we had this long hike back from, um, our engagement spot and we were just talking about life and, and our wedding and, hmm. you know, what we wanted to do. And we already knew that we were going to do something unconventional, but we had gotten on the topic of um, why we loved one another. And it just kept coming back down to community. So we're like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever we do, let's make sure that's the center focus of um, what, what the message is and, mm-hmm. and the overall experience. So yeah, it just, it, it, and then, 
again, being working in the nonprofit field um, and just putting on various fundraisers and galas and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it kind of all clicked at once. And we're like, let's do a donated wedding. <laughs> and, and we're like, we have no idea what that entails. But yeah, I like it since we believe so wholeheartedly in community, mm-hmm. like we're going to have the community help us put this on. And yeah. um, it did such that it was yeah. incredible. I love, love the focus on community. And that's something that a lot of the episodes that I do here kind of go back to is just how important that community support is and giving back to your community. Um, And part of what I loved about you was that you're even creating that community on, on your Instagram too. And like starting these honest conversations with people that do allow us to have a deeper sense of community. Yeah. No, definitely. I think, I mean, social media, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it could be used as a tool of evil, used as a tool of good. And, um, that's one thing. I mean, even just through our wedding, we got connected with all the vendors, all the donors and everyone solely through Instagram. And we're like, wow, like this tool is so yeah. Freaking powerful. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like, you know, reaching out to one person who may not be able to help you right there and then, but they may know someone else and connecting you to that. It was just, it was crazy to see how planting, you know, the seed and watching the community like work together and make this whole thing kind of grow. Like it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. And we got so much like press as two average Joes that we don't have a name. We don't have a name or like a brand to ourselves. We're like the most unknown people, you know, we were able to make it on the today show and then to be able to then get on other local news and like all of these different, Mm -hmm. um, press outlets. I mean, it just snowballed into something so amazing. No wonder it took you a year to recover and regroup from it. That's, that's a whole lot. I mean, I'll be honest, it, half of the year was because I slipped into like a really deep depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know if this is like a myth or whatever, mm-hmm. but people say that after a wedding, a bride normally has like the blues or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I definitely had the blues and like, and more. Yeah. Well, I think it, it was. It sounded a little bit like you had a vulnerability hangover from our brief call uh, before recording of just learning how vulnerable you were at the wedding with friends and family and like sharing some of your own personal struggles for the first time publicly. Like, sounds like it was definitely a little bit of a vulnerability hangover. And to be honest, since that last call that you and I had just a couple days ago, I that was a perspective I never even thought of. And this, the past three days, I was able to like extend and lend a little bit more grace to myself because I've been in like this weird lull for a year. I quit my Mm -hmm. job. I, you know, again, fell into that depression and like in that depressive state, you're always like, well, why are you, why are you feeling depressed? You have so much going on for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's that negative self-talk that Mm -hmm. eats away. And then, and then you start judging your judgment and then it's just like, you're like, what am I, what the hell am I doing? Like, you know, yes. you're so you're not confined. alone in that. <laughs> yeah. And you're confined to your bed and you're just like, Jesus, get up and just brush your teeth. It's mm-hmm. 1 PM. Like, can yeah. you, and it's so interesting. Just like, it, just the mindset that you get in, in these episodes where you're like, okay, so the 
average like person who may not struggle with mental health, um, they're like, yeah, it's easy. Get Mm -hmm. up. Like my husband is always like, Tiff, today's a good day. Like, come on, you can do it. And well, like, yeah, it's, it's easier said than done, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to take a short break here because I know that some of our listeners um, are actually running creative businesses themselves. And so I really want to share um, one of my favorite sponsors of the podcast with them that might be able to help them with running their business. Um, It's called HoneyBook. And you guys might have heard me talk about them before, but they're an online business management tool. And it actually lets you help control your client communication, your bookings, your contracts and invoices all in one place. So if you're like a creative freelancer or a small business owner, HoneyBook helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. Um, They're honestly super easy to use and it still is your business. It's just better with HoneyBook. So right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off your first year with promo code Taylor. The payment is flexible and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So you guys can go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code Taylor for 50% off your whole first year. Um, You get paid faster, you work smarter, all with HoneyBook.com. And don't forget to use promo code Taylor. And now we can get back to the show. I want to get like a little bit into, since we've already started, kind of talked about depression a little bit. Um, yeah. Wonder if we can get a little bit into your like history with mental health a bit. Um, this yeah. is always my favorite part about podcasting <laughs> and like talking with people that I don't really know because I just think it's such a beautiful thing to like get to oh. know someone on this deeper level and like have yeah. people be open to like digging deep and going there. And then it's also yeah. like listeners get to know you while I get to know you. And I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I this is always like the part that gets me really excited is like, okay, let's get yeah. into your life. <laughs> but no, I mean, even just the small amounts that I do know about you, it's like you have overcame so much and you have been through a lot in your 28 years and a lot more than what some people would experience um, in their lifetime and your journey with mental health. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe that started out from, you know, your early childhood trauma with sexual abuse yeah. and, um, yeah. you know, even with being a first generational family. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm just so curious, like how those played into each other and just kind of like, as you look back, like what that was all like for you. Well, let me preface it with this first. I tend to ramble. So you just <laughs> interject, <laughs> you just interject whenever yeah. you need and, and help steer the mm-hmm. conversation. Cause I might just like dive off the deep end and it's okay. you'll have, okay. you'll have to come swim and save me. Yes. Um, we're in it together, but, <laughs> I, but yeah, I mean, since you, you mentioned about the sexual abuse, um, I'll kind of like touch lightly on that. So, um, I was sexually abused by a, um, close relative mm-hmm. for about five years of my life from mm-hmm. what I could remember, mm-hmm. um, started around at the age of five. Uh, and at that point, um, I was, I already knew that I was like a very empathic child mm-hmm. and I, cause I was feeling all the feels Yeah, girl, you know that oh, I got you. And, <laughs> and, you know, growing up in a, an Asian home where we had our, uh, grandmas and, other relatives living with us Mm -hmm. and a house with five kids. There's just so much attention that you can get as 
one of five and everyone had their like, you know, mama's little boy or daddy's little girl or grandma's little boy or whatever. I kind of felt like I was the black sheep of it all. Hmm. And so I grew really close with um, one of my uh, distant aunts and she became my like confidant, my like second mother figure. And I just loved her so, Hmm. so much. And now, is she living um, the, with you as well, or she was? No, okay. she she isn't. Um, and so she had gotten engaged at that point, and this mm-hmm. is like that distant relative mm-hmm. uncle. And so, obviously, when I'm hanging out with her, I'm hanging out with him too. And it's like he's sharing like that same love and, and that same like um, excitement to be around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't, I, I don't necessarily know when things shifted mm-hmm. and things became. A little bit more, um, I guess, touchy and hands-on. Yeah. More adult and perhaps yeah. appropriate for a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that started happening, and like as a kid, and as I've tried to process this past like few years, on like all of the things that I've shoved away. Yeah. I'm like, okay, because a lot of the times, like I was blaming myself. Like, come on, like you should have known better. Like, what the hell were you thinking? Like, you know that that what he was doing was not okay until let him Mm -hmm. go on for five years doing that like who are you which is like your adult brain trying to like right you know reason and almost in a way shame your child self Uh, yeah Yeah. exactly and so I had to take time to sit with my inner child you Mm -hmm. know as cliche as that sounds but like Mm -hmm. really try to understand from that you know that standpoint of like how I let it go on for so long and and the reason came to know that that wasn't your responsibility. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, and, and that again, it's easier said than yeah. to actually like fully believe. Cause I'm Absolutely. like, yeah, you know, that wasn't your fault. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, but like, was it, it's that, e- it's the ego. Mm-hmm. It's battling your own ego. Yeah. But anyway, I was like, okay, it was because I was just looking for that unconditional love that I mm-hmm. didn't get from my parents. And I had sought it out, you know, in another way, but not again, being an adolescent and being a child, like you don't know the difference. Like you think like, Oh, that's quote unquote love yeah. the way that they're showing you. And when they're telling you deceitful things at that time, like you don't know, you're like, Oh wow. That's what love sounds like, or that's mm-hmm. what love looks like. And this is what it means to feel like you're being loved when you're hugged or when you're touched a certain way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, uh, like it, it was wild. And the one thing that, uh, where I like kind of ended it all was when I saw, when I saw my uncle or this distant relative, um, uncle, I don't even know what to call him, but yeah. not personally related. When he started making advancements on my younger sister, hmm. I recognized it at that point. I was like probably like 10, 11 ish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-uh, no way. And yeah. that's like when I like dragged into the basement and I said, I, like, I don't know if I can swear on this. No, but like, absolutely. Li- <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> Fuck it up. I, I know. <laughs> I literally took him downstairs and I was like, I know what you're doing and I'm not dumb. Like, mm-hmm. don't you fucking touch any one of us ever again. I'm like, or I'll expose you. Like, I will ruin your life. And this is like my 10-year-old me. Yeah. I'm like, this is me patting myself. I'm like, fucking go girl. Seriously. But yeah. And then at that point, that's where my relationship with both that, like my 
distant aunt and uncle kind of mm-hmm. disintegrated and I, I hadn't spoken to them really since. Um, hmm. Were they but, at your wedding? No. Okay. No. You haven't yeah. spoken to them uh-uh. since you were little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, and honestly, it's because I haven't really dealt with a lot of this mm-hmm. childhood trauma until I met my husband five years ago, who has a genetic condition called cystic fibrosis. Um, and, you know, his life expectancy was 19 yeah. when he was born. And so his like take on life is just so vastly different. He is such an optimistic person. Mm-hmm. He lives every day to the fullest with no expectations of any outcomes. He is like a radiant light, yeah. but he was first relationship and I've had plenty in my past, but first relationship that challenged me to Mm. speak about things that happened in the past, not necessarily like objectively say what happened, but like trying to know more Mm -hmm. of like why my certain behaviors were the way that they were, whether if it was negative or positive, you know, he was trying to better understand you. Yeah, which I like it blew my mind at twenty what, twenty four we were mm-hmm. at that age. I'm like, someone's actually trying to get to know like my <laughs> deeper layers. Like yeah. what? And that's when I know I'm like he's husband material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um yeah, it's just I I'm still processing mm-hmm. all of this trauma even as we speak. Um, but I yeah. know that I've become um I found a lot of my voice back in it because I know even just speaking to you right now, I'm not a blob mess of tears and anger and frustration. When the first time that I actually blurted out loud to my husband, like I cried for like five, six hours straight. He didn't know what to do. He thought like uh, I was literally flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. Couldn't feel, couldn't do anything. Like it was, I couldn't even utter the words sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even do this of the S. Yes. Yeah. You know. And so, he was the first person that you had told? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, well, no, because I had worked previously to um, our relationship. I was uh, working at a nonprofit that was creating curriculum around social emotional learning hmm. and mindfulness and that and the women that I worked with there really helped me create or they created that safe space for me to mm-hmm. speak about it. But yeah. I never went to like full details and full extent of it. But that was the first time where I like started going inward when we were creating this curriculum for youth. And I was like, yeah. this is so trippy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, I, I wonder if part of that would have been triggering in terms of healing because you're then working with children who are maybe potentially around the same age that you were when you were experiencing that. Um, and it is, it is very hard. I think when, when you experience that kind of abuse as a child and then as an adult trying to like reconcile why that happened to you, how that was able to happen to you and like, how you make sense of it. Like, I think there's so much shame that, that people experience. And, um, you know, I think I heard a little bit 
coming of that coming from maybe like your adult brain of just trying to like make sense of this, but it's, it's really, really, um, it's, well, it's really fucked up, uh, to be honest. And I think, um, it's super important that, that a, that your husband and, and B that these women that you worked with were able to help provide a safe space of like zero judgment and just openness for you to be able to start that healing process. Um, because I'm curious what, what your other like relationships looked like then as you were growing up with that being like your first kind of introduction into what sex looks like and what, um, what, you know, love and relationships look like between a man and a woman, um, of how that then impacted, you know, your other relationships before your husband. Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of tricky because again, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier where I suppressed it so Mm -hmm. far deep that I, I wasn't aware of how it affected, Mm -hmm. um, my past relationships. I will say, like, as I sit and, like, reflect in Mm -hmm. this current moment, um, I think, like, just sexually in general, I prep my sex drive just in in life right now is just very, very low. And I think it's still because I'm working through a lot of those things. And my -hmm. husband, you know, and I are, like, in very honest communication about it. Um, Whereas before I think I was just putting on an act and like trying to be like, this is what I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to do. And this is how I'm supposed to feel. And, and I think my like conscious mind was doing most of like, you know, the thinking at that moment in time, but subconsciously I was probably like in, in my prison, in my hell, you know what I mean? Like this is not working Mm -hmm. and this is probably worsening the situations and worsening my relationships without even me knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I will say definitely my sex drive has been definitely impacted. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think, whereas like, and I know you're very open about it and this is what makes me so happy to be connected with you because I'm like, I want to learn from Taylor because you do, you like, you express like your sexuality in like such a beautiful like way. And I think, no, and I, and I, it I has not been an easy journey. <laughs> no, it isn't. Well, because I mean, there's stigma around that as yeah. well as like mental health and all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, you have to be classy. It's like, no, fuck. Yeah. Like sex is a part of life. And that like, why are we, why are we trying to lay that dormant and mm-hmm. not educate people on ways to feel sexy about yourself yeah. for just even yourself, not even for a partner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that is uh, because people like myself who are struggling, like I need those role models. I need yeah. those people who are transparent because I need to feel like uh, I can come back into my own mm-hmm. skin and feel sexy and, and like respect my temple that yes. I have. And like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Instead of like running away from it because of shit that's happened from the past. Yeah. And like feeling shameful about your body is like, that's a, it's, it's, it's shitty to feel it internally. And it's even shittier when people externally shame you for your body. And I think there, you know, there's so many ups and downs when it comes to learning to really feel sexually empowered. Um, and I know it's something, you know, I think, 
like briefly before I went on the show, I was like challenging myself with. And even now, like afterwards, I mean, my boyfriend now is like so just like sexually uninhibited and like <laughs> definitely, Dunham. yes. Um, so he's definitely helped like me feel more comfortable in, in like experimenting and, um, exploring my sexuality and it's really helped increase like my relationship with my body even just masturbating was not something i had ever even really like full out explored until like literally this year and i'm 25 years old (laughs) i mean this is offline conversation but i have a lot more to ask on that (laughs) yes yes um that's definitely another episode that (laughs) i'll be doing with like a uh sex therapist or something but um, i love it but yeah, it's uh, and I'm I'm curious as we talk through some of this and as as you're like processing things um if I believe I think maybe you have been in therapy, no? Did we talk about I that? I ha- well, yes. Yes and no. Okay. I tried therapy um often on in college, but they always say like finding a therapist is like dating someone. Yeah, it was, it's like making friends. <laughs> That's what I like it, to say. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the resources that we had offered on campus, I mean, they're, I'm sure they're fine and they've helped people for me. I just didn't drive well with mm-hmm. um, the therapist that I found there. Yeah. And I think where I continue to struggle is um, trying to find an Asian American therapist because yeah. I grew up in a white suburbia neighborhood and our family was honestly like the diversity of our entire town. Yeah. So I like the struggles that I had living first generational. I feel mm-hmm. like only really like someone of Asian descent would understand because I can't decipher when my mom and my dad, you know, never said I loved you growing up. Was that emotional abuse? Is that part of culture? I mean, I know now it, that's yeah. culture, mm-hmm. but like other things where they're like, gray lines of you know what to what isn't typically American culture and what we deem acceptable Mm -hmm. here I'm like what what was like neglect and what was you know so I think that's the hard part for me on trying to find the right therapist that I um Mm -hmm. that I can feel comfortable to dive deep into those those situations with yeah. And, and I think it's like, that's one of the most frequent questions I get asked is like, how do you go about finding the right therapist? And it's yeah. definitely, I mean, this is such an intimate kind of relationship that like, you definitely need to be able to feel like you can relate somewhat to this person. And yeah. when it comes to culture, like that can be so important. I know I've even gone back and forth of like, you know, my therapist is a white woman and maybe I need to see a therapist that's a woman of color of some kind that can yeah. maybe relate, you know, I mean, I've seen this therapist for years now and I feel like we have a great understanding with each other, but you know, it's definitely not going to be for everyone. And when you are dealing with such specific issues that play such a role in your culture, like, yeah, that's can be very important to find. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you can touch a little bit more on like being first generation, um, are you first generation American? Yeah. Yeah. So my parents were born in Vietnam. Okay. And um, 
sorry, I cut you off. Did you want me just to dive in? No. That? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wasn't sure like if your parents were born here. So if you were like, but yeah, I guess that's the definition of first generation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get confused all the time too, because again, no one asks back at home and yeah. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah. And like, yes. what's that, what the, what that's like too? Cause you said, you know, you grew up in like a white suburbia and so it's like, there are some points I'm thinking maybe I can like relate to you on, but I'm curious being an Asian American, like how that experience was for you. Yeah. I mean, well, especially with like the whole social emotional side, mm-hmm. I think it was very difficult because traditionally, um, uh, at least in our Asian culture, it, we pride on just, you know, being the best of the best and just mm-hmm. anything that makes you look weak, you don't talk about, yeah. you don't like, you don't mention, it's all about studies. It's all about getting into the best school, making a great paycheck, I, like, mm-hmm. and making their sacrifice of coming to America well worth it, yes. right? And Which so, is a lot of pressure. Uh, so much pressure. Well, everyone else like around me is like, oh, yeah, I get to do palms. I get to do Girl Scouts. I get to do, you know, soccer. I, I get to do whatever I want to do. And like their parents like just, you know, support them in any way, mm-hmm. in, in any interest that they had in ours. It's like, yeah, great that you have that interest. But, you know, how are you going to make money out of that? Like, yeah. how is that going to be something that can sustain not only you and your family, but hello, when I'm older, mm-hmm. like I'm coming to live with you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, so that was one thing. And then another thing is they don't talk a lot about their past, their history, mm-hmm. any like trauma, anything that they have personally gone through. Like I had just learned in my twenties about my dad coming on by boat and escaping the war and how wow. 75% of the people on the boat died. And he was shoved in between two parcels and just made it here. But, and then got on land and like figured it out. Like I didn't really know that aspect mm-hmm. of him. And I still don't know like the struggle and the trauma that he's gone through on that. I don't even know. I don't know my grandpa's. Yeah. I don't know on either side. I don't, I don't know what they look like, who they are. I don't know how many siblings my dad actually really has. Yeah. He he went to Vietnam and came back with a photo. And he's like, here's like family. And everyone looked exactly like them. But there were 14 people, like male, <laughs> female. That I was like, are these yeah. all your brothers and sisters? Because when they escaped the war, he just went back and got my grandma. And because Ho Chi Minh and his soldiers were raiding all the houses and he was like, we need to get the fuck out. Grabbed my grandma, got on the next boat and left everyone else behind. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a whole other like layer of trauma to to, to deal with. And I think I'm, I'm guessing that that can be part of what can be so hard growing up first generation American because, um, American, anything, Asian American, anything, um, because not only are you then trying, like, this is the culture that you're now growing up with, but it's like a mix of this other thing. And like, it can be really hard, I think, to have that empathy for your parents and to understand that because like you said, some of the stuff you don't even find out until you're an adult. And then it's kind of like, you're able to then start to make sense of things and understand yeah. why growing up was so different for you. Right. But that's the thing. It's like if, if they were able to explain that at like a young age, um, mm-hmm. I would have hoped that I would have had a better understanding and maybe less resentment towards 
a lot of the things that, you know, uh, just like even small things like, oh, they didn't come to my musical performances. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because they had to work because they, it's, they're at a disadvantage. Oh, well, you know, I wasn't able to, uh, whatever, do Girl Scouts. Oh, well, that's because Mm -hmm. they can't cart me around and sell cookies and do all this stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think like if there was more open communication when we were younger, like Mm -hmm. that would be great. But then again, as an adult empathizing where they're at, like at that point, they're just trying to survive and Mm -hmm. take care of family. So that's probably the last thing that they would want to have to deal with is emotions. Yeah. And I think it's a a balance as an adult of empathizing with where your parents were at and like understanding Mm -hmm. why it was the way it was, but also still allowing space for like, that's okay that that hurt you as a child. Like that that's okay that you felt that pain and that you were wishing and hoping for something else. And I think it, it can be really hard to find that that balance. Um, I'm curious if now as an adult, if you had have any of those conversations with them. Yeah, definitely. I think like, as I have become more mature, um, in, in, in my knowledge around just emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. um, there's your buzzword. <laughs> yep, there it is. There it is. It's a real thing, America. Uh, no, yeah. when you said, again, this is a side note, when you were on the show and you said emotional intelligence, I was in the thick of developing the curriculum for the kids. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, she just said emotional intelligence. Like, yes, I love her. I love her. Give me more of her. Oh and my goodness. And my husband kills like, you're, you're nuts. Yes. But anyway, as I become more, um, versed in, in, in EI, I've become a better communicator with my parents, mm-hmm. which in turn has helped them open up yeah. a little bit more. Now, are they like uh, emotional butterflies now? No, yeah. but we have definitely been able to hash through things, um, that mm-hmm. have specifically affected me in my past, but to give you an example of like, you know, at some place where like my mom stands with emotional intelligence, like when I did come out about the whole, um, sexual abuse stuff, cause they found, my family found out through the media, like they found out through the news. Yeah. And then my mom, like, you know, didn't call to do it. She like texted and she's like, who did it? And I'm like, mm, okay, that's when, you know, like, and, and so I picked up the phone and I called her and I'm like, Hey, Like, I would love to talk, you know, through this with you, but I just first want to let you know that it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it happened under our own roof, like, it's not your fault. So I don't want you to go to that place where you're blaming yourself because you wouldn't have known unless I had told Mm -hmm. you. Second of all, like, I told her, like, I don't feel comfortable fully expelling on the details of, um of that experience until she was comfortable enough to be able to come to the table with, um, a supportive, Mm -hmm. uh, a a more supportive like approach, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I feel like right now you, you may be still wondering who it is. It's like, you're coming from a place as a mother Mm -hmm. and being like, I needed to protect. And like, that's your reaction side. And I want you to come at, at a, 
it to a place of like, where you can have compassion and like support me as I like tell these things. And I mean, so that's some like real great emotional intelligence on your end, because <laughs> <laughs> to be able to like sit with it and, and really figure out what kind of support you need and then to yeah. be able to like communicate that to her, I think yeah. makes such a huge difference. And had you just responded and been like, Oh, so-and-so and like, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I don't think that that would have been like the supportive, um, more connecting maybe conversation around this that yeah. would have been helpful for you. Yeah. And again, I didn't, I didn't know how I wanted or needed to be supported. Mm-hmm until I was really making this curriculum for the kids. Cause <laughs> yeah. I was, we were working with um, an amazing woman who's, who's a dear friend now too. And she's a life coach and was a teacher and mm-hmm. um, is all about social emotional learning. She helped develop the curriculum. So as she was like developing more of the things, I was like, test this out on me because I <laughs> need to like work through these activities and stuff too, because I'm and, and prove that it works. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, if it wasn't for those women, like I wouldn't have known what my needs were. I wouldn't have known how I, I, I needed to be supported because for everyone, it's different. Some people just need to be mm-hmm. hugged. Some people need to talk it out. Some people don't. Some people need to run it out. Some people need yeah. to, there's like so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just know my relationship with my mom and I just know my mom so well and mm-hmm. that that was the best approach to go, yeah. to go about it. Um, Yeah. And I know you mentioned earlier about like having to grow up kind of fast and in the way of like also then kind of raising your siblings. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm partially guessing that that's part of also what's common in Asian American families. Um, but then also like what that relationship maybe is with them given, I guess maybe them also learning for the first time, some of of the stuff that you experienced in childhood and um, how that's impacted that, those relationships. So my parents had a divorce start. They started their, the divorce journey was up and down all around the world, but it started when it was, when I was about 12. And then I think it was finally finalized around like 13-ish, 14. Hmm. And at that time, my dad had left. Um, our house had foreclosed. Wow. He had demanded like $250,000 to close a divorce. Signed off all of... Like from ma- your and, mom? Yeah. And then signed, signed off all of his debt onto us. And now, again, this is something... Holy I'm cow. saying this, like... This is what I was told from my mother when I was younger, and I yeah. could be remembering it differently. We still haven't had like a really in depth conversation, but gotcha, as we like gotcha. talk, it, it's most of it I think still stays true. So anyway, they had left. Well, sorry, backing up a little bit during the divorce. Again, when I told you before, like I wasn't really mm-hmm. like shot of at least what I felt from my parents, like yeah. growing up. This is a time where they're both like Tiffany. <laughs> Oh my God, your dad did da 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 da. Oh my God, your mom is da 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 da. And they're fighting over the kids. They're like, yeah. who's going to get the kids? And I'm sitting here now as, again, a preteen after going through that whole sexual abuse thing. Now I'm like, okay, now my parents are giving me attention, but they're giving me attention during this divorce fight. Yeah, over and they're the like kids. pulling you and making you pick sides. All right. And so, um, 
fast forward. So my dad had left again and then our house foreclosed. We had like three days to like three or four days to pack up our entire huge house that like had 10 rooms. And we pretty much had like a big dumpster truck on our driveway and just threw everything away, packed like a couple bags. My mom wanted to take us to the city, but I had then already started creating my own community and like my friend group and like I just knew moving to the city would mean moving to the inner city, like and what going city is to this? school, Chicago oh, okay. suburbs. So we grew up in suburbs of Chicago. Gotcha. Gotcha. She wanted us to move to the inner city of Chicago closer to her work. Hmm. And I was like, uh, that just does not sound like the most ideal. Yeah. So she's like, okay, we'll try. I'll split time. So we got a town home in our um, town. And she was working in the city. My mom's notorious for falling asleep behind the wheel. She's just mm. like, she's gotten in so many accidents with it. She's just awful. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. so, yeah. So long story short on that, I was just like, okay, uh, like you just need to stay in the city and I'll take care of the kids. Like, this is not like, I can't stay up worrying if you're going to get home. Like, okay. At 13, at, like at 13, I'm like, I just can't like, that's way too much. Like, just stay in the city, come home on the weekends. Like we'll figure things out. So fast forward through like my high school, I pretty much raised my younger brother, my younger sister. My mom came home here and there like a couple times a month. Um, I worked six jobs at a time at a time, but they were like all, I mean, it was like, I worked for like the national association of realtors as like an administrator. And then I worked at a bakery and then I babysat. And then I did like a couple marketing things when I was during that age. Who gave me those jobs? Like, I don't know. But they I don't know, did. but thank goodness that they did because you were fucking like hustling. I, I, I was getting that money, but, yeah. um, yeah, so it was, it was really difficult for me and I didn't have time to process any of my emotions. Like I knew I cried yeah. every single day. Um, and from what I can remember and, but I always just wiped it off and was like, get your shit together. Like tomorrow's a new day. You gotta, you got responsibilities. So, well, you, you know, were like, so that, in survival mode, like uh, you yeah. had people like literally your little siblings, like depending on you. Yeah. And I, again, like I didn't have time to sit and stop and think, mm-hmm. but I was really fortunate that like I had an amazing high school, um, sweetheart whose family like pretty much adopted me into their, into their family. And they were like my rock Mm -hmm. through the whole, um, through the whole like three or four years. And, and again, that's where I grew so close with my community because everyone else, while they knew bits and pieces of the story, no one knew fully. uh, They lifted me up during Mm -hmm. every like trying time. And my high school Dean was like my second father. He knew everything. He would know, like, if I'm about to cry, like, or if mm-hmm. I had a rough night, he's like, Tiff, go sit in my office. And I would skip, like, a couple periods just crying, and, like, he would, like, come in and mm-hmm. and help console me. And, he, yeah, he was, like, my mentor and my wow. father figure. So he took me under his wing. And, yeah, I I mean, that's why I attribute my life to, to these people. Mm-hmm. And um, it did get rough, I think, around sophomore year sophomore junior year um where I did have suicide ideation mm-hmm. it was getting a lot like my plate was just way full 
and my tank was way empty. Mm -hmm. And again, because social emotional like learning and like emotional intelligence really wasn't that uh, big of a thing in our counselors, like at school, like it loved them, but no one was really asking like the questions, how are you and how can I help? Um, so yeah, I, it, it was a very trying um, period of my life, but mm-hmm. what turned it around, um, now did you was, have, I, I know you said that you had suicide ideation. Did you then also have a suicide attempt? No, I think it was, um, there was a close attempt, but I swear, I don't know, God, universe, whatever you believe in. Mm-hmm. I was at a volunteer event and I was helping a guy to his car um, packing groceries or whatever. And he had stopped and turned to me and held my hands. And he was like, it's like Tiffany's your name, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, thank you so much for helping me today. I just want to let you know, there's something special about you. Your smile is going to change the world. And I'm like going to get choked up. That one stranger like Mm -hmm. flipped my life around like he gave me value he he made me feel seen Mm -hmm. and um yeah I just like there was no bias there and for the first time I felt like a human Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I felt like oh there is so much to celebrate about myself instead of thinking all of the 101 things that I was responsible for and that I was probably doing wrong and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. honestly, that, that stranger, like it, it, I don't know what he did, but it rewired my mind. Mm -hmm. It was like, he was talking, he came in, jumped in my head, was cuddling my subconscious mind and was like, there, there, like, let me, let me take this pain away from you. Let me take those those thoughts that don't belong to you, let me take those away. And I swear, like he trapped, like he packed it in his trunk, like those suicide ideations and like mm. it walked away. But, um, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. You made me tear up a little bit. That's, <laughs> I mean, that is one of the beautiful things about like being vulnerable and putting yourself out there and just like communicating, like, authentically how you feel about someone and like you never know how far that's going to go and what need that might be serving for someone and I mean learning all that about you like you were taking on so much at such a young age and that's so much pressure and like I I cannot even imagine but like you had some serious fucking strength to like go through all of that and it it makes total sense that that you would feel that way um and I mean, the fact that you're like at a volunteer event too, like you were just really, (laughs) again, community, 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 like the fact that you were involved in that and that this person really saw you and he could have just seen you and just moved on with his day. But like he took the opportunity to like communicate and express that to you and the impact that that had, that's just amazing. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, though, because I know that there are other people out there who are very similar to me, too. So Mm -hmm. at that moment in time, I like committed myself to volunteerism and was like, holy shit, like that feeling was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I became 
the president of every student organization that you can imagine of and like was really focused on serving others, Mm -hmm. which is so amazing. Like I, I want that to be ingrained in our, in um, our growing generations. Mm -hmm. However, here's the part where now I'm a 28 year old, right. And this whole self-love self-awareness, you know, lifestyle is now becoming, you know, uh, into the light and into the known. I struggle with that because I don't, I don't know how to love on myself like it. And because I'm so used to just caring for other people Mm -hmm. and I don't get fulfillment for loving on myself. I get fulfillment for loving on other people. And, and there is a danger point in that as well, because there needs to be a balance. And yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's, it's the uncomfortable piece about showing that love for ourselves comes with the fact that in order to empathize that in order to have self-compassion, we also then kind of have to sit with our pain too. And some of our shame yeah. may be around why we don't think we're deserving of that and why instead we're going to give that to others. And that that's going to fill us when, what about when all those people are gone? What about when you're not with those people? What about when you move or when something happens? Yeah. Like when you're by yourself, then what? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where I'm like, you know, these kindness movements and all these things that we're teaching our kids, like we have to drill in Mm -hmm. self-love and self-awareness, like just as hard as caring for your neighbors and caring for others. Because again, like if we create a bunch of me's and how I feel right now, even though Mm -hmm. I'm doing amazing things for other people, like I would just feel so terrible because yeah. that's why I still struggle so deeply with like depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and all this stuff because I didn't get the tools and resources to care for myself. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to really equip myself with, um, my own compassion and own mm-hmm. empathy for myself. And that yeah. sounds so silly, but it's, no, it's so, it's so true. true. It's 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 not something that we're taught growing up. And especially, I think, growing up in a first-generation Asian-American family, that, that wasn't taught, that the focus was on your family and around other people and not on yourself. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think it's a step that, like, we really need to be intentional about teaching our younger generations. And I think yeah. there's, you know, a lot of other people... Um, who are now being kind of awoken, awaken, woken up yeah. to, you know, <laughs> they're woke, yeah. um, woke about life. self-care. <laughs> yeah. They're staying woke. Um, but it, it's, it's hard to, to battle with that of if it's selfish and the fact that you are such a caretaker and the fact that, you know, you literally did have to raise your siblings. That's like all of that responsibility on you that, it was almost like your worth and your purpose was for others. So then to not be yeah. taking care of others and to be taking care of yourself, I can understand why it, it, it would maybe feel like, oh, wait, like this should be going towards them, not me. Um, yeah. But you're so deserving of it and like you need it. And I'm like, I want to yeah. give it to you. I'm like, <laughs> we need to just like have a day and sit with our feelings and, you know, just allow ourselves that space to be kind to ourselves because especially when you're doing so much for other people, like you really, you got to fill yourself back up too. And 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. You do so much. You've done so much for other people and I'm just, I'm, I wish I could hug you. I'm virtually <laughs> hugging you I feel via like, our girl, FaceTime. No, I mean, again, just even our connection right now and just being able to speak it again out loud on a public forum yeah. is so healing and um, being able to listen to your other episodes and, and connecting with other people's stories. Like yeah. this is how, um, this is what healing looks like. This is how healing is done. Mm-hmm. And, and I, again, I applaud you for just creating such an amazing um, virtual space. Like what you're doing also, I have to acknowledge that too. Like we're not in the same room <laughs> and the fact that yeah. you can create this safe space for me all the way, I don't know how many miles we are mm-hmm. away, like, is a gift and a skill. And that's something that we need to equip one another with because, mm-hmm. you know, we're not all therapists. We're not all struggling people. But, like, mm-hmm. at one point, someone's, you're going to experience pain. Yeah. And as much as, you know, as as terrible as pain could be, there is light within it. Mm-hmm. And there is so much that can come from the pain, so much learning, so much growing, so much mm-hmm. strength like that. Pain doesn't come from anywhere else. I mean, like all of that doesn't come from anywhere yeah. else, but pain. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think just learning how to look at it in a different perspective is such a valuable tool. Yeah. And, that- and I think again, kind of what you said of like, you know, we, we can't all be therapists or helpers or whatever, but it's like, that's also why it's really important for me to, host this podcast in a way that's, you know, I'm not anyone's therapist on here, but that, you know, certainly I have an educational background, but like, I don't always have that hat on. Like sometimes I'm just myself on here and I'm trying to listen and, you know, create that safe space. Um, and it's, it, we, like you said, we will all experience pain. And I think there's a way we can like share that pain and, and process through that pain together in a way that, you know, is so much more healing and, um, can lead to so many positive things. Yeah. I'm curious. And, and I apologize if I should know this, but no, but how, how did you get into the mental health space? Like what was your, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe what was your pain point of where this all started? Yeah. I think my pain point was from extended family members, passing away from substance abuse and feeling like this is so preventable. Why the fuck did you just do that? Um, as a young adolescent, you know, of feeling like, why are we creating all this pain when like, this is preventable (laughs) and, um, was just always like attracted to people that had so many layers and whether they were my friends or guys I was interested in. And, you know, I think, that that in and of itself was kind of at the heart of it. And then once I did um, take a psychology course in high school, I was like, this is my jam. Like, this is my <laughs> class. Like, this seems yeah. very applicable to daily life, like much more than anything else I'm learning here. And, Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> yeah, I was like, did not excel in that area. Um, and then, yeah, just the more... And I went on for my bachelor's in psychology was just like, you know, yeah, I'm not good at research, but like, I really value this therapeutic relationship that you can have with someone. And, um, just knowing that you could create this safe space for someone that you could hold that. And that it was just such this sacred 
like valuable relationship and time that, that they don't get anywhere else. Um, and that, you know, your shit doesn't really matter at that point, but that you're there to really help that person learn how to help themselves to me was just such a like magical thing. And it's such an empowering experience to like see your clients like grow and to, to be there with their struggles and allow that safe space. And it just, I don't know, it just drew me and I just felt like this was so important and literally like it's something that everyone can benefit from. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> amen to that. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, I, it's, it's such an admirable, um, career choice because I sat and thought about people like, you should be a therapist. You hear, listen to everyone. So I'm like, yeah, but I, I still don't have the, uh, the ability to separate Mm-hmm. <laughs> someone's like emotion. I will carry on. Yes. I'm like, sis, sister, mm-hmm. brother, let me take that for you yeah. and let me hold on to it. <laughs> that is my issue. Mm-hmm. Like I can't it's, because it's, it's a fine line for sure. It's a balance and it's something a lot of people do struggle with. And for me, I think I'm just, I'm like so adamant when it comes to my boundaries that I'm like, no, your problems are your problems. Like they are not my problems. I'll, sh- I'll yeah. share that space for your problems. But like, it's, yeah. I-, I think a lot of people do end up going into some kind of a helping field because they have that like very strong, like empathic nature like you do. Um, yeah. But I think therapy, especially is a space where like, you're going to get burnt out real quick or like some like major counter transference and transference is going to start happening with clients and like it would not be good. So, <laughs> um, but I think Girl. it's super helpful that then you are able to like work with different nonprofits and these different charities. And, um, yeah. I know, I know that for your wedding, you partnered with five different nonprofits. Um, and so I'm curious, are you currently working now in a nonprofit space? Yeah. So right now I just do consulting on the side. So I Mm -hmm. work with a couple nonprofits. Um, One of them is the Maliola Foundation, where they introduce Mm -hmm. surfing as a natural therapy for kids with genetic conditions. Um, Oh, very cool. Yeah. Primarily uh, for cystic fibrosis patients, which is what my husband has. Is that how you Um, guys met? No, oh okay. girl, that is a long story for another day. <laughs> okay. But long story short, I I found him on my other girlfriend's Instagram. Was like gotcha. make the intro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> See Instagram, what an amazing <laughs> tool! Oh my god, yeah, you're right. See, I found my husband on it. Now that's like again, yeah. I'll have to share the story. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I was definitely a woman that was empowered and on a mission. To- <laughs> I love it. I love it. (laughs) But, um, amazing. Yeah. It's so I do a lot of that on the side, but Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I'm a floater. I just love learning. I think that's Mm -hmm. a thing. And I, I, because I started working at such a young age in so many different like industries and fields, I, I'm like a chameleon to that. Mm -hmm. So I, I pick up projects left and right. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, event planning, I'll do that. Oh yeah, coding. <laughs> like right now I'm coding too. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll build your website. Oh, wow. you. I just like do random things. The work ethic is. is so real. And I mean, trying. Yeah, no, you've done so much. Um, I hope you realize how strong of a woman you are. And I hope oh, you realize you. that like just the strength that you have is like, is crazy. It's like so much 
stop. I'm like, I need to step up my game over here. Damn, but I'm not going to compare myself. (laughs) But I'm just saying you're badass. You hustle so fucking hard and like you keep it so real and you keep it so authentic. And like, I'm so thankful to Instagram for bringing us together. Um, and (laughs) so glad that you reached out and had, uh, Vanessa at your wedding and that you created that whole thing because it's connected us and I'm sure connected you to so many other amazing people from putting yourself out there like that and, um, wanting to do something to give back and you've given back so much and it's been super great to have you on here to give back to some of our listeners and and share your story with us thanks girl i appreciate you so much more than you'll ever know I wish we we could do like another hour of this episode. Um, but I'm coming to Seattle soon. That's that's yes. what I've gotten from this. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and I've I mentioned it a few times that like I love following you on your Instagram. Um, and on there, you guys share kind of a lot about your relationship and a lot about uh, your guys' lifestyle. You guys live in like the cutest freaking RV ever, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, living goals. Um, Oh my God, you're so sweet. But yeah, so your Instagram is good on wheels. And then, um, yeah, I guess that's the main place for people to find you, right? Yeah, good on wheels. And we are working on starting our nonprofit that helps social conscious couples and wedding vendors give back to charity. So that's Vow of Giving. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, primarily good on wheels. See you there. Have good conversations. Awesome. I need to come see you. (laughs) Yes, please do. And thank you so much for being on. And um, just want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. And you can definitely check out out Tiff um, on Instagram at goodonwheels. If you guys have any questions or topic suggestions, you can shoot those to me um, in an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And that does it for today's episode. Episode, but I really hope you guys enjoyed this and getting to know Tiff as much as I did. And there's so much to learn um, from just this one conversation. So definitely go follow her so you can learn more and uh, follow along with the amazing thing that things that she's doing in her life. Um, and I will talk to you guys next time. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando Resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited.